What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Go Long Show, golongtd.com. I'm Tyler Dunn here with Jim Monas, as always. Thursday Night Football, Packers Lions at Lambeau Field. So, what better way to get everybody ready here on X Live, YouTube Live, and the podcast than bring on a man who knows another team in that division inside and out? Man, we've been looking forward to this, Jim. It's, uh, a good colleague of yours, a friend of yours. The first time I'm meeting him right here, but Josh Lucas, everyone, director of player personnel for the Chicago Bears for a number of years. I would not do you justice bringing you in, Josh. So I'm going to just give it over here to my co-host, Jim Monas, who knows you much, much better than me. But it, it is a pleasure to have you on here. We, I just love having real football conversations. There's In this league, there's a lot of sticks up, you know what? And I feel like the viewer doesn't understand how the NFL really works as a result, because everybody's just drowned in insipid cliches and dribble and <laughs> narratives that have been, you know, decided upon in a board meeting months in advance. And the people who lose the people filling the dang stadium. So that's why being Jim started this podcast because Jim is unfiltered and sharing story after story. It is awesome to bring you on, Josh. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So Tyler, good to be back we haven't done a pod here in a couple days um and this weekend there's so much going on with our guest josh's former team the bears but there's more that i want to discuss on this pod with josh because what i want everybody to know is we all talk about people that tyler you have people mentors guys your age peer you know your peers that you just come up in the business with that you respect and learn from as you grow that was Josh Lucas to me with the Saints, where as an area scout and Josh, I'll, you can get into this, too. But I always tell people, Josh, how special I thought our scouting staff was in New Orleans. As far as I thought we all challenged each other to get better and learn. And we would watch tape together in the offseason. And, you know, it was almost like we could almost we would call out each other on guys that, hey, you said, you know, you would always keep track of hey, you said that guy was this, this guy was that. That's part of the whole business. But we we wanted to do it because we wanted to win a Super Bowl because we knew we had a quarterback to win it. And to be honest, Tyler, it was cool to see everybody from that staff kind of branch out, get promotions, get their chance. And we'll get into that, Josh, too. But um, just to see that is a reason why the backbone of every in scouting department are the backbone. And we were an example of that in New Orleans. So – that was a long way of saying, Josh, this is cool to have you on and talk some football because that's we're going to give people the football version of our life, not the uh, off the field version of our life. Fair. I love it. Perfect. <laughs> we don't have enough time for the second part. I like oh, it. Are we sure we do. The Prime 47 version. Is that what we're talking here? That's uh, all. And now that's that's, the, that's that can that Prime 147. Josh Tyler talks about how the combine, all the just the the Jerry bus, the all the gross, just <laughs> over the top, just men being men, over the top men. <laughs> yeah, if you've if you've been there and seen it, it's it's uh it's quite the spectacle. So, Tyler, I want to talk about with Josh, the, the one player that I always feel like as area scouts, you have to have the, that one player, and especially when you're a young scout, that a guy that you know is going to go high in the draft and you don't see it. And it's hard as a young scout to maybe 
um, feel that conviction to say, why is everybody, you know, he's going to go high, but you just don't have that belief. There was a player, an offensive tackle from Baylor, uh, Jason Smith. Jason Smith. And he was the second pick of the draft. And he was what you we would all consider the combine maniac. And I'll never forget, he worked out just like you said, you know, the off-the-chart workout. Josh, tell me if I'm wrong on that. He did, right? Yeah, impressive. Everything was impressive from a measurable standpoint. But Josh, we would sit in the office and we'd be watching tape. And Josh is like, I, just, I don't see it. I, this guy's going to – It's damn, did he, were you right. He was one of the biggest busts. So, Josh – that's kind of like the stories we like to tell. So does that ring a bell to you? You're Jason Smith. Yeah. You know, it was, it was one of those deals where he wasn't a huge name prior to whether that was his junior year and he came out earlier. I think it was his really, it was his senior year. Um, and all of a sudden I think there was some local Southwest, people of influence who were in the media. I don't know if it was Gil Brandt, rest in peace. I don't know who it was. Somebody kind of put him up there as this top mm-hmm. pick. Hold on one second. Something's beeping. <laughs> Get it. Live, Get it. live pod, Tyler. Live it was my it was my refrigerator. Sorry about that. Um, it was going to beep for hours. Uh, so I remember it would just kind of put up there that he was this top prospect. And, and you're going back and watching the junior and sophomore tape prior to like the season starting. So this is August, you know, when we're going around doing all the character stuff and I was, and he wasn't a good player. He just, he wasn't a good college player. And then he did his senior year. He was more productive. I think, you know, it was almost like he felt the urgency of a contract year or the draft year. Um, and he played differently, but there was still a lot missing. And it was one of the first experiences for me of, of realizing that instincts are important, even for linemen. You know, I, I never really put that as a, you know, my first several years as a scouting assistant. And when you start going on the road, I was just like, if they had traits, draft them. Like, you know, if, you, if they have traits, they're going to make it. And that's just not true. Like you have to have feel and awareness for any position on the field as, as a, you know, NFL football player. And that's where I thought he was really lacking. And then I thought he was a guy. I remember as soon as he was going to hit any adversity and look, listen, I'm saying this and this happened to us with a couple guys with the bears too, where guys that we drafted who were very, very talented that had, all the physical ability in the world to be a good NFL starting football player. And it's, and they had good rookie years or impressive rookie years where we had conviction about them. And then as soon as they went through some adversity, they couldn't get through, they couldn't get to the other side. They lost it mentally. And I think Jason, I thought that in college of him, And I think that happened to him when he got into the league, once it, once he started to struggle, some guys can work through it and get to the other side. And I don't think he ever did. Well, then who was a who was the player from the Bears that kind of reminded you of Jason Smith or an example of a guy like that where you were just like, absolutely, At, you know the the one that comes to mind the most, um, you know there was a little of that in Kevin White, but it was a little unfair because he went on IR three straight years, oh. pri- prior to getting even to week three of the season, and I don't know who could overcome that. That that's hard. And, no. and I think, I think there would have, even if he was healthy, there would have been some obstacles he would have had to overcome as a player. 
But the one that played as a rookie when we met with the coaches after the season, these co- I met with the coach who was let go. So like now there's no reason to BS it bullshit. Like this is, he's going to tell me the truth. When a coach leaves the building, he's going to tell you the truth. This kid at worst will be a solid starter. And this was Adam Shaheen. We took him in the second round out of Ashland. He had two games late, the last eight games of the season in 2017, I believe it was his rookie year. One at Cincinnati, one home to Detroit, where I would have bet you $1,000 he's going to be a a solid starting player. He got a bad injury, uh, a a very different type of clavicle, something fracture, had a really hard time recovering from it, and then had a really good start to his second training camp. We were in Denver practicing with the Broncos and then in the first quarter of that game gets a really bad foot injury and he never he he never came back as the guy we had his rookie year um the adversity dealing with the injuries the pressure I think all that stuff um kind of weighed on him and we never saw that player again um and it didn't end up working out we ended up you know trading him to Miami kind of why I love the Detroit Lions. Yeah, that's the one that comes to mind. I'm sure there's been other ones, but that's one where, you know, you invest heavily in a second-round pick. You feel good about them after year one. Because we all know we've taken first, second-round picks, and you don't feel good about them after the first training camp, and you're like, oh, shit. I tell Tyler that all the time. The guy that we got a call on right away, we go right to national meetings right after the um, 14 draft. And Quanjo from Alabama, it was like red alert. Like this guy can't play. He's not, he's not, he's not picking it up. He's struggling. And we're like, oh man, you know, just like you said, it's like a guy that you kind of was, you you kind of just hope there's guys you don't want to worry about. It's like, there we go. That's when you have that feeling. Oh, for me, you know how it is when you put as much time as we put into this, even the sixth and seventh round picks for me, like like even though guys that probably have a hard time making the team, but when they come in and you know it right away, we had a we had in the two thousand same draft in the fifth round we took an offensive lineman out of Coonstown, um, Jordan Morgan. Yeah, from and he I think it was Coonstown. It, IEP um, PA. He was like a tr- yeah. He bounced he went, around. We, we had him at the Senior Bowl. Oh, I remember him. College tackle, perfect NFL guard body um, right away. He had a shoulder his first, you know, his first camp. And we were concerned about um, whether to redshirt him or not. But beyond struggling with the shoulder injury, there was some clear, like, this might be too big for him. And you're like, for me, like, even as a fifth round pick, it still makes you sick to your stomach. Like oh, you want you want all those guys to do well and and compete and and look the part and it's that's such a it's an awful feeling it's like sleepless nights feeling whether it's a first round pick or a, or a, or a later round pick. What does a red flag look like? Like how do you see something so early that makes you just go, oh holy hell, this guy's not going to make it? Like yeah, is it a specific play, a drill, a conversation? Like what? No, I think, you know, it's a, it's a culmination of 
several practices in this, you know, a scrimmage preseason game. You know, it's never just like one one day, one thing. But um, you can see for a lot of guys, it's moving way too fast. And it's 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 not it's just it's they're getting beat badly and it's not pretty. And um, obviously, the higher they're drafted, the longer the leash is going to be and they're going to get some extra time. But when it's a late round guy, you know, it's like they're they're probably going to be gone really quick. Man, and and that ability to to find players because everybody's going to face adversity in, in, in some form or fashion that they, they can blast through it. It's kind of why I love what Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell are doing with Detroit. It just seems they've got a roster full of just tough-minded players. I mean, however you quantify it. Um, but, man, that, that, that's got to be such a hard thing for both of you guys, anybody in scouting, to, to figure out, right? You can investigate all you want, talk to family members, coaches, teammates. Like you said, when they leave the organization or the, the college, maybe they're going to be a little bit more honest. But what really goes into figuring out, okay, th- when adversity strikes – this guy's either going to blast through it or fold. Yeah, it's obviously I'm Jim. You could speak to it. Like it's, it's the main question we try to figure out with all the prospects, like how much have they gone through? What have they been through? Have they ever been through something where they had to fight through it and get to the other side? Um, Some of these guys, you would be surprised. You, you, you talk to, you bring them into the combine interview and you ask them what's the most adversity you've ever faced. And they give you a story and you're like, whoa, holy shit. Like this guy's been through a lot. And then, but you'd also be surprised when they're like, you know, my high ankle sprain, you know, my junior year and I missed a game and a half. And I'm like, that's the biggest, most adversity you've ever faced. Like that's, and it's real. Like some of these guys, depending on how they were growing up and the environment and the support and the parents, it's, you know, they haven't had a lot. And so when they come into your building as a professional, it all changes though. Like all the information, it, it's important, but a lot things change quickly when you go from being a college player to a pro player and the money's coming in and the hands are out and the attention and the pressure, it's a whole different world. And I think, I don't know how you feel, Jim, but for me, it's like when you start thinking about like, just taking guys from Bama and Ohio state and LSU. And, and you know, the, it makes a lot of sense because if the, if you can get through those programs, like you're probably going to have a pretty good chance of surviving in our, at our level um, versus versus guys coming from places where they just have never seen anything like it. I think to your point, yes, because they are treated like professionals at the, we we've seen it for years. We used to tell everybody you have, people had no idea what was going on in these colleges. I feel like the, the, those 2000s, 2005 to like 2015 was the division one boom of just every team got a new facility. Yep. The money just, it got gross Tyler. And and we all saw it coming. It's funny to see where it is now. The instead of a way I went off on a little tangent there, but to your point, yes, those programs, they're treated like professionals. They're ready to come in. They know how to train. They know how to practice all that. The small school guys, I agree with you, Josh. You really do have to pay attention to. I look at two guys we had in New Orleans that I scouted um, and was a part of scouting. Like Jiree Evans was a Division II player from Bloomsburg. Well, Jiree Evans, he did go through a lot of tough times. He battled an injury his senior year in high school that nobody recruited him. So he had to go to Division II. Mm -hmm. And he had, you know, so he had adversity that he fought and fought. 
Another guy that I like, David Jones, a corner from Wingate. Josh, I don't know if you remember him. We took yeah. him in like the fifth round. Fifth round, yep. He's a bodybuilder now. And when I talk about maybe somebody that didn't necessarily have the, I don't know. I'm not saying he didn't have some tough times in life, but to say that he didn't necessarily love football as much. Let's just say yeah. it that way. For sure. So to your point, yeah. You feel That's, better about some of those guys. I I feel like the every year that passes and the way society is now, the way these kids, a lot of these kids are raised, like there's fewer and fewer of the ones that really eat, bleed, sleep, everything's football. Like there's fewer and fewer of those guys. Mm -hmm. And, and if you can find one that also has special traits, like, give me that guy. Give me that guy because if you don't love it, it's easy to really not not want to be about it and not not want to um, reach your like top whatever that is like your ceiling of ability in the pros. Like like you gotta love it. Like there's no doubt about it. And I think there's fewer and fewer of those guys every year. I love that point, Josh, because that was always a a cliche in my mind. I, I figured oh, everybody loves football. Of course they love football. It's mm-hmm. not true. No. There are unbelievably talented <laughs> players who they're just, they're, they're good at it and it's a job. I want to throw a name at, at both of you. Cause this would have been right, right in your heyday. But when the green Bay Packers drafted Eddie Lacey out of Alabama, mm. we got dinner for a story. Um, Republic chop house, I believe in downtown green Bay, amazing steak. Eddie can eat, boy. He could eat, obviously, and he's opened up on that over time. Um, but it was he was so um, open about his past, what he went through with Hurricane Katrina, how it kind of robbed his childhood and damaged him to a almost a permanent degree. He wasn't really sure if he ever kind of got over that. And I came away thinking, and he might have even said this in so many words, that he doesn't really love football. He's really good at it, and he could just steamroll defenders, and he did it for a couple of years. But after a couple of years, he kind of ate his way out of the sport, um, maybe lost his love for the sport. Would love to have him on to talk about it, but he, he's not what you described. He, he didn't eat it, bleed it, sleep it, sweat it. Like, it wasn't just ingrained in him. So he didn't really last as, as long as he, as he could have, which is a shame because – Man, when he was locked in, Eddie Lacy was the rookie of the year. He was unbelievable. Did, did either of you guys interview him or have any interactions with him back? I think it was 2013, maybe, that draft, 12? Jim, he probably we, spent some time with Yeah, him. we spent time. I know I spent a ton of time on him. Yeah, it was all known stuff. Josh, you, you probably know. I mean, it was all known with Lacey. Nothing out of the that, – that was the issue, just the how much does he – can he stay in shape? Does he love it enough? You know, when you get I, – I think it when, when you think of like – Who's the poster child for the opposite? The guy that is so wired the right way, you know, for us in the seven years I was in Chicago, we drafted um, Darnell Mooney in the fifth round in 2000. I think it was 2020. And for a fifth round pick coming from Tulane, not a huge school, but, you know, obviously division one football, um, how quickly we knew he was going to be a good player. Um, and a, not only was it the ability on the field, the movement, the speed and the athleticism, but the way he was wired, like he was a, 
it felt like he was a 15 year pro, you know, like he, it just, the way he carried himself, the way he studied it, the way he acted and it blew everyone away. We thought we were going to get a, you know, like this raw, you know, maybe contribute to year one and, and maybe he develops into a player and he was as good of a receiver we had on our roster. Um, you know, by the time we got to the first game, and it now get me wrong, we didn't have we weren't loaded in that room by any stretch of the imagination, but he was he was very impressive, and a lot of it was just the makeup, just just how he how he approached it. No doubt. Okay, Tyler, I gotta ask Josh this question now. Talking about how hard it is just to put a team together, and this is more I we haven't talked about this, Josh, and it was hitting me today when I'm watching some of these the tape nfl tape and i see leonard floyd and roquan smith making plays like crazy why in the hell are they not in chicago right now like yeah. when you actually get picks right how are they not there yeah so those are both pretty easy i think um leonard was a case where if vic fangio would have been in the building still I don't think Leonard ever would have been able to get out of the building. Um, he was ideal playing in that system. And he yeah. never, he, it was so funny. You just brought that name up because I was just thinking today of in the seven years I was there, he was the most unappreciated bears player that we had. I feel like he's he, underappreciated still. He's a, he's a hell of a football player. He didn't ring up the stat column in the sack column. And that's what it was all about. How do you re how do you extend and pay a guy that has four and a half sacks or whatever it was? Um, and I'm so glad that he got to go win a Super Bowl. He's been a double digit sack guy several times since we left. I mean he was he was always one of those guys that was especially the last year we had him, I think he only had five or six sacks. He was so disruptive. He was way more disruptive than productive, which sometimes is more important. And for us, it was like that, that was the huge hangup. How do you pay a guy with four sacks or whatever it was? And, and it, it made it easier with, with Vic not being there. Um, but Leonard was a really good player for us. And then Roquan, I can yeah, say, I can say unequivocally, right. that deal would have been done if, if, if our regime would have stayed, um, he was the best player we ever drafted. Um, he is incredible. Um, and I can't comment on what happened there. I don't know if I know they tried to, and I, they just couldn't come to an agreement. And if they thought it was going to be too expensive um, and they, you know, they still went out and paid a guy $80 million. That's not as good of a player as Roe. Um, but I, I can say, with a hundred percent conviction, if we were still there, Roe would still be there because he he was he was the best player we drafted. Yeah, I just get maybe frustrated. the Bears can draft Terrell Bernard, Jim. Maybe they can, you know, draft a Terrell Bernard and get as much production in one game as you got out of Tremaine Edmonds for a full season. So I'm sorry, he 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 kind of just became a whipping boy of sorts in this pot. He's a good player, but he's not seventy two million dollars. We talked about Edmonds a lot, Josh. To me, he was you. To me, you keep him at your price if you were Buffalo. It had to be your price. I see why they let him go. They don't. That's I, I don't know. I just don't think a side to side linebacker or the thing he gets quoted for running the cover two. I, I can't even stand that because um, he can run with a tight end down the middle on cover two. 
Which that they don't have. They don't have them do here. <laughs> which that's what I'm so what? What's the point, right? What are you doing with that? I, that's just he. That's interesting because I, you know, I, it was just a player that honestly, as a in in pro personnel, as a personnel director, I I don't know if we just never played Buffalo when I was there when he was with Buffalo, so I never really studied him much. This is the first I studied him at Virginia Tech, obviously, and and I thought Roquan was a better player when they came out. Um, and this is the first time I'm studying him as a pro watching bears tape every week. And I will say this, it's not easy playing when the guys around you don't help you, you know, they, they do not have a good front here. So he's not being, you know, he's not being multiplied by anybody. That's for sure. But he also isn't standing out. Um, you know, great players, $80 million players, like they make plays no matter who's around. No matter what. I agree. And, and I just, I've seen them make some flash, run the alley. Whoa, that's a big, fast guy. But for four quarters, consistent disruption, production, changing the way the defense is, I, I haven't seen that through three games. Shall we talk quarterbacks, fellas? Do we want to start with, uh, Mitchell Trubisky, and so that would have been your second, third, third, third year, year. third yeah. year, third draft. Kevin, with Kevin White was the first year, then Leonard Floyd, and we had Jay Cutler for the first two years. Jay played really well for us uh, our first year there. He actually had, um, I think, Adam Gase was with us for one year, and then got the job in Miami, I believe. Um, and and I, Jay was good. Like Jay was really talented. Um, he did a, we weren't a really good team that first year from a personnel perspective. Um, but Jay, that, I don't know if he had better years in the NFL, but he played at a winning level for us that year. He helped us win a bunch of games. Um, I was actually really impressed with them. I was shocked because when we got there, it was like, you got to turn the page. You got to turn the page. That's all we heard. Um, and they were coming off of a very, you know, especially from a media standpoint, there was a lot of, turmoil and, and chaos in the organization and a lot of it was on the offensive side of the ball I think it involved Aaron Cromer and all that stuff that was going on there and then uh, we rolled into year two um, and so year two draft would have been Wentz and those guys and that that I remember that was a big conversation like can we get up and get one of those can we really was Wentz I remember that um and and very early in the second season we knew like okay this isn't working out with jay some of the stuff we had heard kind of reared its head and we weren't good and it became early in the 2016 season okay it's we we need to get it like this is a year to to see if there's a quarterback that we really, really like. So that's when it all started. Then obviously um, the top three guys, uh, Deshaun and, and Patrick and Mitchell, um, by the time we got to the off season, we were already down to, I mean, just being honest, we were already down to just Patrick and, and, and Mitch. And um, for me, I'll just speak to my experience. My first time, I was a big blink guy back then. Like the, uh, you know, the first impression, mm -hmm. go with your gut. I remember I turned on, I was in my office and I turned on um, 
North Carolina tape for the first time, and it was really impressive tape. And there was fourth quarter comebacks, and there was fourth down conversions, and he was very, very talented. And I remember, I think a lot of times this happens, and Jim, you could probably attest to this, like when you're not expecting much on the tape, you're just kind of putting it in for the first time, and you're like, holy shit. Like this dude can play. This guy's athletic. He's got an arm. Like he's he's winning games for him in the fourth quarter. So I remember that being like, hey, this is this is definitely a first round candidate. And there was two things with Patrick. The first time I same I did the same thing, whether it was that week or the next week, Texas Tech tape. And the first tape I watched on Patrick was bad. Like, I don't know if you remember this, Jim. He had a little run where I later found out he was really hurt. Hurt, yeah. Very significant, significant uh, shoulder separation. And there was one game, and I'm pretty sure it was Iowa State. I can't remember all the games, but I know I was West Virginia, Iowa State, something like that, where he was on the road, and it was just bad. It was it was turnovers. They were getting killed, Bob, you know, and it was a very unfavorable impression to the point where I was like, is this guy really a legit first rounder? You know, like I, that, that was my first taste of him. And then a piece of information came into our building through a coach about him personally. That was very negative that we later found out to be not true. It did not impact our decision at all. I got to meet with Patrick one-on-one when we did our dinner with him, we went into a separate room. It was just me and him. We discussed it. I totally believe that it wasn't true. It was a rumor. Um, I don't know where our coach got it from, to be honest with you. Um, It was pretty ridiculous. Um, If it were to be true, it would have been a very like, holy shit, like this is not what you want your franchise quarterback doing and behaving like. It wasn't true at all. It didn't impact our decision. I'm just telling it. Cause these are the first two observations I had of the player for me when the season ended, it, it was, it was easy for me. It was Mitch and then Patrick, like it was easy. And then as we got through the spring, that gap closed as we got to be around Patrick more, as we got to know both players more, but it never got to the point where we were like, we should do this over this. It was always for us, Mitch over Patrick we knew, you know, and I've, I feel like I've told this story like 10 times in uh, the last two weeks. Um, we knew what Cleveland, you know, they were deciding between Mitch and they were deciding between Miles Garrett. We knew that we were getting very good information out of their building. And we just had to have a backup plan. Like, and I, I said this on the radio yesterday, like, do we take a position player at three? Do you try to take, is, would we even have the balls to take Patrick at three? Would you try to trade back and and take the quarterback? Would you take a position player at three and then try to trade back in to get him if he fell for and further enough? And then the last scenario we had was, would you, how much would you give to San Francisco to get Miles Garrett if Cleveland ends up taking the quarterback one? And that those, those were the scenarios for us about twenty four hours before the draft. Um, we knew Cleveland's direction and they, we knew they were taking Miles. Um, and then for us, it just became, we're going to take Mitch. We were getting information that one of the teams behind us was going to move up to two and take Mitch. And that's why, obviously, we went up to two to take him. 
the information was not coming from San Francisco, which like the story that got out that Lynch made it up. Like that was a bunch of bullshit. Like we were getting information from somebody we obviously trusted that was well-informed. Um, and we didn't want to take the risk of, of getting caught with our pants down. And there's a trade for two and they take the guy we wanted to take. So that's why we moved up from three to two. Um, Obviously, we we made the wrong selection, and it impacted you know a tremendous amount of people. Uh, we're not the first, we're not the last, and no, um, and and I'm. Just, what's cool about it now is it's been seven years, six years. I I said this yesterday on the radio as well. I the first thing I do every Monday is watch Kansas City tape. I love watching him play. He's a, he's is rare to me. He's the best that I've ever seen on tape. I've never seen a better NFL quarterback on tape than that guy is magic. I'm laughing Josh, because people are tired of us talking about Mahomes on this podcast, but we feel the same way. And Josh, I think about it daily as well. You know, we traded out of that. We could have had him too. We no nobody was on board to, he went, went, and we'll talk about this, going to the right place matters. He could not have gone to a better oh, staff, team, all that. We had just hired Sean McDermott. He didn't even know who his offensive coordinator was going to be. He couldn't even find an OC. We got Rick Dennison, who he fired after the first year. That would have been a wasted year for any rookie quarterback we were sure. going to take. And that's why we were off all three. We were just off quarterback. We kept We decided to keep Tyrod and just go that route. Um but, Who did you guys take? Well, the trade back. You traded back, back and you, you took Trey White. Who? Trey White from LSU. Who? Trey oh, White from yeah. LSU. Yeah. yeah. I'm one of the best corners in the league. Yeah. So, I mean, it was seriously a win. And, and then they used that ammo the next season and they got their quarterback. But it's hard. Trubisky, it's hard to watch him now to think. I liked him too. Oh, yeah. There was, <laughs> stuff, there was so much good to like. It was, there was a lot of good to like. He was. Um, you know, physically, work ethic, every he just after the snap, fluid intelligence, processing information, um, didn't do it at a high enough level to you know to consistently um, carry a team. You know, obviously, we won a lot of games with him because we were so good on defense. Um, he was good enough where you know we could score some points, but he wasn't good enough to like just carry a team and be like, this is a franchise quarterback. Um, I can also say this about Mitch. He would have been way better served if he would have went somewhere else where there was an established offensive identity, where there was, you know, much more talent around him. We never were very talented around him up front or on the perimeter. Um, so would he have ever would that have changed his ultimate trajectory as a, a high end starting quarterback? No, but it would have been a much better situation for him. Um, we didn't, we didn't support him as well as, as we should have. And that would have happened, you know, with whoever we would have taken because those were decisions we made, obviously bringing the guys in around them. Um, but you live and you learn. I thought, you know, obviously Justin Fields isn't performing well right now, but I thought that 2021 draft class, our process, um, our, our stack where we had those guys, like I thought we were way more um, experienced and learned and, and ready 
And have any of those quarterbacks played well? Trevor Lawrence is doing a good job, but then after that, it's been kind of a crapshoot with all of them. Josh, um, I would say Trevor Lawrence, I can't figure out. He, he is so talented throwing the football. It's like he's as good as there is in the NFL. He is just like the big dogs with the big-time throws. His team around him is letting him down right now. So really? I'm going to hold out. I'm going to keep Trevor Lawrence on the rise. I'm with you on the rest. I And I had, I had Fields number two. Tyler knows that on this pod. Um, I was with you on, you know, I was with fields too. I, you know, let's get into it about going to a place that can set you up for success. Like, is he set up for success or failure right now? I mean, just think about, you know, what's happening in San Francisco right now. Yeah. You know, there's, there's, you know, obviously what's happening in Miami right now. Um, That was a guy that I don't think anyone thought would be a high end quarterback um, and, and, you know, specifically referring to Miami, they hire a little wizard in there to, to come in there and do, they're literally doing stuff that no one's ever done before. Everyone, everyone's talking about 70 points, 16 for 16 and a half time. They had 8.1 yards per carry. Like no, it was that's unheard of. That's insane. Um, and then obviously you draft a guy with the very last pick in the draft. <laughs> the very last pick, like they have the best head coach in the league. They have incredible perimeter talent. Incredible. Um, they don't have a crazy offensive line. Obviously, mm-hmm. the left tack- the left tackle special, but the rest of those guys are okay. That system is ta- like they've had success with every quarterback they've dropped. Think about that. Who? What team can say that where they can just drop a quarterback in and he's going to win games? Like Nick Mullins, like you can name them. Um, and Purdy's a great, a great example. He's a very, obviously he's in the NFL. He's obviously talented. He obviously is super smart and processes, but you could drop Purdy into a lot of situations and it would look ugly. If he was in, I say it all the time. You put him in Buffalo right now, it would be an absolute disaster. there's, There's not many quarterbacks could overcome, you know, what Chicago's dealing with right now. They're not, you know, they're not playing well around him. The quarterback's not helping. He's adding to the problems. He's not, he's not solving the problems, but there's obviously what, you know, the, the, the gist of your question is it's a huge deal to me. I don't know how you feel. I think there's five or six guys that you could drop into every, any of the 32 buckets and they're going to produce high end offense. They're going to give you a chance to be in the playoffs every year five or six of those guys. And then I think there's a chunk of guys that are really talented. They have a very specific skill set, and they're really good at it. And if you put them in a, the system that fits their skill set and you put good players around them, they'll have success. But you could also drop those guys into a different bucket where it's not as clean and pretty. There might lack some identity on offense, and those guys are going to struggle. Um, and I, to me, that's what quarterbacking in the NFL, that's what it is right now. Couldn't agree more. It's kind of why I like Daniel Jones and Brian Dable. We'll see how it pans out, but like that other, there's there's so many variables at play here. Uh, I want to bring it back real quick to Trubisky because we, we got to get into fields and that offseason and everything that led to him. Man, I, I got together with him in Menor, Ohio before that draft, and I can see just on a human level how you can be 
so impressed by by him as a as a person, as a leader, everything. I mean, that 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 is who you want as the face of your franchise, right? So, like in that in that setting, you probably saw somebody who is going to bust his ass and do everything he can to be the savior of the Chicago Bears. One hundred percent, and he he did the best he could that first year, and you know there wasn't it was if you remember back our our personnel was um, on that side of the ball. We were getting good on defense, but we were it was ugly. Our our receiver roster, all that stuff. Um, we did not want to play him year one. We we did we were hoping and praying. You know, two years starting in college to me is very risky. Two years starting in college, one year starting in college is ex- is extremely limited time on task. And the absolute ideal situation was for him not to play at all. He had to play. Um, it was ugly, like most rookie quarterbacks that aren't in great situations. Um, and then we hired Matt. And that second season, I, I got to a point – after the Minnesota game, which I think it was either the last game of the year or the second to last game of the year, we went to Minnesota. We had already clinched the playoffs. We played in a very loud environment against a legit defense. And the throws he made, especially on third down, composed, poised, and then to follow that up, in a playoff game at home, throw for 300 yards, lead the team down for the game-winning score. After that second year, I honestly thought we won't miss. We won't completely miss, which for us was like one of the huge factors, like just don't miss this pick. Just don't miss it. It was a huge reason. Like we thought he was so like, like this, that the ceiling might not be as high as, as Mahomes, but the floor is going to be high. And the worst thing, we get Andy Dalton, we get Alex Smith, we get one of those guys, um, and we're going to be so good defensively that we're going to win a lot of games. And that's what happened. And I felt that way. And then starting in 2019, once he started to struggle and that media outside avalanche started to pile and it got loud, it got really loud, no different than it's getting loud right now for Justin. that affects a human being. Let me just say that that affects a human being. And I saw it firsthand. Um, And like I said, I don't think we supported him well enough um, from a personnel standpoint. And I, I think it just, he got, he, he lost all that confidence that when you met him before the draft, all that swagger and all that, he just, it, it was just gone. And it got to a point where, you know, we knew he wasn't going to be the long-term answer. And I'll give him so much credit for the way he handled the Nick Foles trade, the way he handled getting benched. And when we put him back in the last five games of his final year in Chicago, he played some of the best games that he played in his career for us. He never quit. He, he never for a second stopped wanting to be the number one quarterback for our team. I mean, the, the makeup on the kid is incredible. Um, it just, you know, it just, from a, from a on-field performance standpoint, it just wasn't good enough. And, and I'll give him so much credit. And 
Um, he'll he'll be in the NFL for a long, long time as a you know as a backup, and maybe, maybe down the road he'll get another chance to play in a better situation. Um, honestly, I, I don't think he went to a very good situation that last year. I think it was kind of brutal for him as well in Pittsburgh. Um, and so hopefully someday he gets to play on a, like a, a high, high performing, you know, team and, and gets a shot, but, um, I'll always root for him. And he's always, he's always going to be one of my favorite guys. Cause I saw what he went through and I saw how he handled it. And not many people could have done that. Man. So, so perfectly said, Josh, man, that was, that was incredible. So you lose that playoff game. I mean, you get to the playoffs lose and you knew pretty soon. Okay. Time to find another quarterback, right? There, yeah, there was a lot that happened before the Justin Fields pick. So, I mean, start at the start if you can on everything that kind of led to the draft. Yeah, so 20 season ended. Um, and we knew, you know, we had those meetings at the end of the year. We knew we were going in a different direction at the quarterback position. And um, obviously the first thing is, you know, before the draft is trade scenarios and and free agents and really the only I don't want to misspeak here I, I, don't, I don't know if there was other that just coming to my head but obviously the big thing that happened that offseason before the draft was the you know the Russell Wilson noise um, I can be honest with you I don't think that was ever too close obviously we were very interested um, I think we were at a point where it was like an established quarterback who's won Super Bowls, who's played, who's played in, you know, heavy pressure moments is probably the, you know, even if you had to sacrifice and give up a lot of um, draft capital rather than taking a chance on another rookie, we were picking 20th. People forget we were picking 20th in the draft. It wasn't like we had a top 10 pick. So Obviously, there was quarterbacks in the draft we were excited about, um, but that that was the first thing that we were willing to go down that road. Obviously, how serious they were on their end—that's that's you know—I I can't speak for for you know their GM and in, in, in the brass in Seattle. You know, it 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 felt real for us. Like uh, I felt like, hey, this this could possibly happen, um, and. God, who knows how he would have performed if he came here. Obviously, it's been um, not what Denver expected. And, and you know, I would hate to hate to have been part of that on, on our end, but um, especially for the draft capital we would have had to give up. But that that fell through. You know, we got the call from them, and, and then it was, you know, we were focused on the draft. And um, I knew, we knew in March the first two picks. Like we knew the first two picks like that, that was out through agents and you know how, you know, how this thing works. Mm -hmm. And, and obviously um, Trevor was going to go to, to, to Jacksonville and, and the jets were going to take BYU. So for us, it was, it was Mac and it was, it was Justin. Those were the two guys that we really, really, really focused on. Um, we didn't have the grades to support, you know, taking North Dakota state, taking Trey Lance, um, you know, where, where we wanted, where we thought we would have to trade up to in the first round. Um, so it just became a, a, a obsessive focus on those two quarterbacks. And that decision didn't get made till the very final day. That decision didn't get made till the very final day back and forth. You know, obviously um, Mac, we felt uh, 
further along with playing on time, playing in rhythm of an offense, getting the ball out. He showed you like it was it was like a master class of getting the ball, getting it out fast, getting it to your playmaker's hands. Um, and and Justin was a lot like almost completely opposite. Like Justin was powerful and fast and some of the throws, the 61 year, 61 yard touchdown pass in the Clemson game is ridiculous. Like that throw he made, it's just, it was all like traits and what could we turn this guy into, but he's got to speed it up. Like it's way too methodical. It's with a pro, you know, and part of that was you're allowed to do that when you're playing at Ohio state and you got five NFL guys protecting you and you're throwing balls to three first round picks or whatever it was. Um, literally it was in that Clemson game. It was three first round picks. He was throwing the ball to Alave, Jameson and, um, and Garrett. Oh. And so two completely opposite guys. And mm-hmm. obviously on the final, final day, we, we decided, you know, based on the grades and everything that, um, that Jim or uh, Jim, that um, uh, uh, Justin would be the, the, the guy of the two. Um, and then it was, we have permission to go up so far. And if one of these guys falls, you know, game on. And so, you know, once Justin fell past Denver and Carolina, it was, it was game on. And obviously we moved up to 11 and took them there. I was pumped for you. Yeah, it was exciting. Obviously we needed it. You know, the, the building needed a boost of energy. Um, playing for our we, we were our our jobs were on the line right no disrespect to Andy Dalton Andy Dalton has had a hell of a career in this league but you no know, just having Andy Dalton going into the 2021 season wasn't exactly going to move the needle um, you know we needed to show that there was a lot of hope and that we found a franchise quarterback and obviously 2021 didn't go the way we wanted it to go we didn't win enough games and um, you know, they made the change after that season. And I thought, I thought after that year, talking again, talking to coaches who had been let go, who weren't with the Bears anymore, how do you feel about this guy? What do you think? And I'm being rigorously honest. Like they were excited about Justin Fields after that first year. And these are coaches that were going on to other places um, from a, a learning retention, from a on, you know on-field performance, physical traits, um, wanting to be great, passionate. Um, they were excited about him. And then watching from afar last year, once they kind of started to build the offense around his strengths, which is obviously right now his legs, um, he put together a, a run of games where the explosive playmaking was helped compensate for any of the the lack of anticipation and and playing on time and playing on schedule. And there's guys in our league right now that make a living doing that. Um, and then you fast forward to the start of this season, and we're seeing a guy struggling with timing and anticipation and making no explosive plays with his legs. And you have a dead offense. It's just dead. It's just it's it's lifeless, and it, it you know there's no running game to kind of build the pass game off of. And f- they're going to play a team at home this week who can't rush the passer. You know, I think Denver's dead last in pressure percentages. If they're not dead last, they're at the bottom. They're zero and three. Like it's now or never. This offense better produce this week, or this city's going to fucking cave in. Wait, 
I can't stop thinking about Vance Joseph in Den- Denver with Sean Payton right now, Josh. There is no way. How is that office setting for him right now? Because you don't have to give me any stats on Denver other than, and I'm going to be honest too, since we're all being honest, guess who bet on Denver last weekend? Yours truly. So guess you, how much I would have bet on Denver if they were getting Josh, you want to be my new co-host? That might get Jim fired right there. <laughs> so anyway. What, what was the line on that game? 50. And uh, <laughs> so that was a good bet. Um, I'm with I'm you. you here's, right the, here's the thing. We're products of our environment. So you and I know Coach Payton. So we're going to see an 0-2 team going on the road against a team that no one thinks they can beat, but we know they might got, they have one of the best head coaches in, in the NFL. Uh, so we're confident in that, but you know, for whatever reason, like that hasn't taken hold yet in Denver. Their offense on, I don't think their offense is the issue. Their offense looks better than last year's Denver offense. Yeah. Russell looks better. Russell looks like he has a coach. He's yeah. not the problem. That defense is an issue. That's real. I mean, obviously, that's not a – like when you were giving the stats, I was like, just give me the 70 points. That's that, and that's all I need. Oh, I put that tape on on Monday. Youngstown State played Ohio State way better than Denver played the Dolphins. I've never seen anything like that in a pro football they weren't even They weren't even trying to finish plays it, on defense. They it were was like, yeah, it was weird. I've never seen something so – easy in the nfl washington university of washington's offense right now when they're playing these teams that can't brush the passer that's what it looks like and that's what it felt like like they're just it was just it's it's there's no defense it's it's oh, like, it's like it's, a bad college football game yeah and i was shocked mm-hmm. um, i was shocked i bet on it is that possible <laughs> with sean payton all we heard is new sheriff in town right like hard new ass sheriff New Josh, rules. I tell people, yeah, Sean Payton, we all know. Look, Josh, how many quarterbacks have the Saints drafted since? I mean, I'd have to look, but they haven't picked any. Sean Payton never got a quarterback in New Orleans after Breeze. Like one no, that he no. groomed. Um, Russell is playing better. He knows how to run. Coach Payton knows how to run an offense. Uh, 100%. That defense sucks. There's no talent. That corner is obviously good, but the defense as a whole sucks. Yep. And they need to they need to think about whatever they can do to get it's time to move on. Like even you can Max and Russell out right now isn't helping you. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting what they decide to do. I never knew why he took that job. I never understood that. I is you know the the good question is is that is that the only one he could get? Because there was other jobs, obviously, out there that he interviewed for. So, and I don't know the answer to that at all. No. But I knew this: if I'm hiring a head coach, and that guy's available, I am sprinting to his door and giving him whatever he wants. Because what he did in New Orleans, you know, I think just because it was one Super Bowl, probably people long term won't. People in New Orleans will appreciate it, but from a national perspective. But if you really go back and look, to me, it's like it's like LeBron winning one in Cleveland. That counts as five. Like if you win a Super Bowl in New Orleans, that that counts as three or four. Like no one had ever won a playoff game there. Maybe like maybe one playoff game. 
and he gets this organization. He takes a quarterback who another team gave up on, and that guy's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, and he deserves it 100%. And you're in the playoffs every single year. You win a Super Bowl. The best team, the best team you ever coached, in my opinion, you know, just was unfortunate that we had to go on the road in the playoffs or we would have won another one because 2011, like, we were unstoppable. Josh, and- we talk about it every year or every yeah. podcast almost. It's I tell everybody how you and I sat for the next day down in, in uh, St. Pete. Uh, we couldn't even talk. Oh, and to know, like, to win the game in the last minute and then to know, like, what happened on the final drive and, like, the chaos and dysfunction. And, like, <laughs> and then it all bled into to Bounty Gate and suspensions. And for us, for us, it was the last – it was kind of the end of the run, mm-hmm. um, you know, for us. And then as soon as um, Jeff Ireland got there, you know, they had that – they had literally one of the best drafts you know, in, in, in recent history no um, doubt. And, and retooled that thing fast. And then, yeah. you know, then they got screwed on the, uh, the pass interference call against the, the against Cal. the Rams. Yeah. Um, Cause I remember in 2011, it was in, in, I believe it was in Indianapolis. The Patriots went, I think we murdered the Patriots maybe we murdered them in 2009, but like, mm. I remember, Oh my God, if we just were, were just got there, like that team was so good. So good. It was before, it was before we lost, you know, Carl and Jari and then mm. obviously Jimmy, those guys, but Oh my Lord, that we, that we were unstoppable on offense. This is when all of the uh, the Packer fans who subscribe to Go Long are screaming, saying, "Tyler, you you covered that 2011 Packers team that went 15 and one, and they were unstoppable too. Aaron Rodgers was the MVP, but they were start that arrow was starting to point down at the wrong time, right? That was Aaron sat the last game at Flynn at the six touchdowns, but it, it, they definitely were rusty into the divisional round, obviously." And they just weren't, and, and, weren't the same. It, Joe Philbin's son died. That really had an effect on the team and the locker room. They were in a bad place and, and in a lot of different ways. So I I don't think they would have been a fact. I, I think the Saints win against Green Bay if, if it, that's the matchup. Which I'm pretty sure, if I remember correctly, I remember thinking the entire year, this if we have to go there in, in January – no. that's hard. That's going to be tough sledding. But if they have to come to our place, like that's going to be hard for them. And and that I'm pretty sure the way it shook out, we wouldn't have had to play them. If we would have beat San Francisco, they lost yeah. to the Giants. Giants were coming to us. And the Giants would have came to us. Yep. That's why we were so devastated. Yes. Yeah. And then we would have went to another dome to play a Super Bowl, to play in another dome. Um yeah, that one hurts. That team was good. 2009 was good, but that team was really good. Yeah. Great. Jimmy Graham at his peak. Yep. Marcus Colston, Aaron Sproles. Uh, what about the opener? That that Green Bay New Orleans opener was fun. Remember that one at Lambeau? That was a goal line stand, I want to think. I was at Sam Houston State, and I remember I was all depressed being like, God, we're 0-1, and, you know, like, I had to, like, get, you know, like, 
not realizing, you know, NFL football, one game, it's not over. I was like stuck in college mode where you lose a game and your season's over. <laughs> well, I, it gets to the point where, and then when you get good, then you realize the regular season doesn't matter. Yep. A hundred percent. Like that's what the bills are facing now. There's like, once you're in that official, just get me healthy to the playoffs mode. However you can get there healthy. Yep. That's a good feeling when you got the head coach and the quarterback, right? That is a good feeling. Not easy to do. Good feeling. <laughs> it is not easy. All right. One more. Wait, let's get Josh. Can we get one more? Or you got to go. Dude, I'm, I'm good for how long you want to go. Let's get into he's playing right now. Jordan Love. Ah, because Tyler, wow. a lot of Tyler and I from the start have at least supported when Green Bay drafted him. We supported that pick as far as. That's our job, Josh. I thought that was Goody's job. His job is to sustain success. And if there's a first-round quarterback and you think you're getting ready to move on from the current guy, if that's anybody and you, you have passion, conviction, take them. Now, like the pick, now we get to study him, treating him like a rookie right now. I see him right now playing as a rookie. He looks like a rookie. That last game, I thought for three quarters was, you can't play with this guy. I don't know what he was doing. And then those last two series, it was like, holy shit, I'm just going to let it rip. I don't know. I just got to make some plays. And he did it. But I thought he was real shaky. Um, his accuracy is bothering me. He misses touchdowns. You can't miss touchdowns. Now, what I do like, I see toughness. I see athleticism. He seems poised. So there's plenty. He looks like to me, if I was Green Bay right now, I'd be happy, but I'd be holding my breath. Your feeling. Uh, organizationally on the pick before I get to the play. Yeah, because you study him. I didn't really study him coming out. I have so much respect for how they do things. Like do for a GM to operate truly with – the way it should be, what is best for the team that I'm employed by long-term for him to operate like that and not succumb to the outside pressure and the noise because my feeling overall is majority of general managers in the NFL are operating on how do I keep my job? No doubt. How do I keep my job? And no doubt, probably like that in a lot of businesses. But from what I've seen and witnessed and been a part of, like for them to just say, Hey, we're not going to take a receiver for Aaron because we honestly don't know how much this guy's committed to this organization and we need to find the next guy for them just to make the pick. Um, it's it's paying dividends now, obviously, because they most teams can't transition from a Hall of Famer to a capable guy who's ready to play, you know, it's, a, it's, it's awesome. So I, awesome. I, I, you know, so much respect for that organization and the way they draft and everything else they do. There you go. Um, that's why they're, they're, they're that organization's outstanding. Um, the player low expectations. And I finished, I have the advantage of knowing the bears really, really well. So I said, I'm not evaluating this first game. There's not a grass stain on his jersey. 
every quarterback the Bears have played this year has had a 175 quarterback rating. I'm going to wait and see him play under adversity with pressure, having to make some big time throws. I watched the two games the other day. I probably, I'm definitely higher than you are on them. The thing I love is how on time and, and how fast he gets the ball out. He plays with poise and he plays with conviction. Love his poise. I think there's a reason that Green Bay leads the league in percentage pressures given up. There's a reason for that because their two best linemen aren't playing and they're number one in the NFL in fewish pressures given up. And there's a reason for that because pressure and quarterbacks, that all works together. That's a dance and a harmony that synchronizes it's, and they feed off each other. It's the only way you beat Miami, just get pre- – he's going to crumble under pressure quick. Exactly. Every quarterback. I was really impressed with the timing. The accuracy part I agree with. I I don't – here's my – like I love what he did in the fourth quarter against the Saints. I can't believe what they did defensively up 17 to nothing in the fourth quarter that's to on the not that's abandon, on. to not abandon that man coverage and let a struggling quarterback just take shot after shot down the field pass interference calls like i couldn't believe how easy they made it for him coaches There's, coaches don't win games but they lose games 100 disappointed in Dennis Allen on that game Oh my God! And I. Oh, by the way, I had the Saints too. So yeah, yeah. Last weekend sucked for this guy. All right, I loved. I love that he's playing in a very quarterback-friendly offense. I think that's going to carry him. It's a, it's based on the run. They're not putting it on him. He gets a ton of play action, easy throws every game. There's two plays that have me saying. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt because I do agree with you on a lot of um, some of the more routine throws that he's missed. There's not a lot of wow, impressive Mm -hmm. throws on tape. It's mostly system stuff. There's two plays. The first two-point conversion that got it from 9 to 11 points. I think he got got the heat. There was a a motion pre-snap to get a man zone tell. They ran with them, so I think he anticipated man coverage. I think he got spooked when it was zoned. He came up in the pocket and then got his eyes back across and fired the ball to the dude. That was kind of an off-script play that he made that was impressive. The final play in the Atlanta game, because I was killing him for going four and out. Right. And then I watched the tape. Yeah. The final play, they get pressure – they clearly he wants the backside dig. It's not developed, and he put. I mean, he threw a ball with anticipation. He put it on the only spot in a crowded spot where his guy could get it. They called it complete on the field, and then I think they reviewed it. It showed me something like he created a play when he had to create a play. So I'm probably a little bit higher. Obviously, short sample size. If I'm a Green Bay Packer fan, I'm I'm definitely encouraged. I'm well, that's definitely what I said. Yeah, that's what I feel yeah. too. I'd be yeah. encouraged if I was Green Bay. Yeah. I'd be encouraged. I'd, I'd just I'd see be holding my breath. breath. Yeah, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of wow stuff on there. He's not creating offense, um, but it's he's on an outstanding team as far as defense, 
and their offensive line can protect them. They can run the ball and hopefully he can grow while the rest of the team carries them. And I, I think, you know, I hate to say it, but that head coach is pretty impressive. Don't hate to say yeah. it. He's set up for success. That's what Green Bay does. It goes yeah. back to your whole point. Love of Green Bay, how he, they – he is set up for success. He seems like he's very detailed and smart. And so – but organizationally, you're right. That that, that place is set to, to build to win games. Which, man, if you're a Bears fan, if you hit on love, you're talking about a half century of just <laughs> quarterback bliss, which is insane. The, the, boy, what a great description of those two plays. Those stood out to me too. That that Falcons play. I mean, he knows he's going to get hit in the jaw. He's going to take a shot, and he and stands he gets, in there, yeah. makes the throws. There's some quarterbacks that have. I feel like you can improve accuracy. You can improve mechanics. A lot of this stuff. Quarterbacks either kind of have that or they don't. I, I don't know if we, that's something we've maybe seen enough out of fields where you're going to stand in the pocket, know you're going to you're going to get hit. Keep your eyes downfield. Make a throw. Uh, boy, if, Two, if I'm a Packers fan, I'm encouraged by that, and maybe not so as a Bears fan. 100%. So 2021 Pittsburgh game, Monday night, one of the main reasons I was really excited about Justin, he threw a couple balls in that second half where he got blasted. One of them was to Jimmy Graham down the scene. Uh, but I agree. I haven't seen it consistently since then. It's, it's almost like it's regressed a little bit. Um, sometimes I think when they get hit too much early on, which we, we exposed them to a lot and he took a lot of hits last year as well. You know, I think there's another reason why their ability to protect him in green Bay is going to allow him to grow more confidence. I think you're seeing it with Purdy last year. I would have said every throws within the system, like every throws within the system. Now this year, I've seen a couple throws where it's like, Whoa, like where the hell did that come from? To me, that's a confident player. That's a confident player that's like, I'm going to let it rip. Um, and you grow that confidence by being in a good organization with a good system, good identity, good players around you. Um, what about the rookie quarterbacks? It's Well, let's talk because right now for me, Stroud had his – he scored like – he scored for the first time for me, my little scoring thing I do. He scored like an NFL starting quarterback this past year. That was real. That was – there was a couple – Scheme open. I don't know if they were dropped coverages where it was, you know, huge production on layup plays, but he made some real throws in that game. Real throws under pressure. He takes yep. hits. I'm impressed. Richardson was, we talked about Richardson. He's doing well for a rookie. Doing, they're using him to his skill set. Um, looks like he's set up for a, you know, a chance to succeed. Um, he was terrible though in that fourth quarter in that first, I mean, yep. he cost them that game, but he is. I get the physical ability. It's just I have to – I'm not as enthused with him just making it. I know we'll, we'll talk about it because you guys are both a little higher on Richardson than I am. And then I think Bryce Young, it's perfect storm. I hope he gets to sit because I don't know if he's any good or not, but that that's not a good combination right now. <laughs> that, that looks bad out there. I hate that they run it from the gun, and I'm assuming, yeah. I'm assuming that's because of his height. Um I'll just say this. He feels so small on the tape. He looks tiny. He feels so small. I knew he was small. Remember Russell Wilson coming out? Mm -hmm. Too small, too short. Anytime I ever put on Seahawks tape, I never felt a small player. I just didn't. I didn't feel a small player. This guy feels small. 
Like right. that pocket collapses on him and he disappears. <laughs> like, he just disappears. Yeah, he and, disappears with it. And so he might have extraordinary instincts and processing. And I think you do see some of that in the first two games, but ooh, I'll be interested to see how that plays out with just physically being able to sustain in, in this league for, for 17 games. Tyler, what are you watching? I wonder too if it, just you know, if philosophically, if if love pans out, if, if if love just keeps ascending, they make the playoffs, they win a game or two, he's the future. Why won't it? And it probably is. You probably answered the question already, Josh. Like with GMs wanting to keep their jobs, and it's a it's that survival instinct kicks in, right? The Titanic sinking, grab a life vest, get on a boat. Shouldn't more teams do this? Shouldn't more teams just draft a quarterback when you don't need one? If it pisses off your future Hall of Famer or the starter, tough shit. Like, we got to look after the team. You're going to sit for a year, two years, hell, three years. So when it's your time, it's you're ready. I mean, the, the, you mentioned that two-point conversion throw. That that pocket movement that he made there, that, that's exactly what he was working on with Steve Calhoun is his personal quarterbacks coach who we'll have on a happy hour next week. Uh, they, they drilled this stuff. They've simulated it for three years. And for the longest time, I was like of the school of thought, you learn by doing, just play, just get out there. Like anything in life, you don't learn in a lecture hall, listening to a professor talk about theory, like get an internship, like learn. Yeah, for sure. I don't know. Playing quarterback is different. Maybe there is this massive benefit to just, doing exactly what Jordan Love has done the last three years, and maybe more teams should do it. I, I can't ever argue with someone that decides to play their quarterback because they want them to play live reps. But there is no doubt that you benefit from sitting. There is no doubt. If you have that luxury, if a team can do that, and, and, and you don't have to – your ownership's not saying you got to play this guy or whatever the situation is, I get when you play them. You got to play them. If you can sit them, it helps. There is no doubt. You know, Mahomes, the three greatest quarterbacks that I can think of right now is, that I've watched a lot of film on, Tom Brady, Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, they all sat. They all sat. Two of them sat for a long time. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, 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 I'm not saying it, it's that's why they're great. I'm not saying no. that at all. I'm just saying it definitely helps without a doubt. My, when I first started in Philly, they took McNabb and the whole plan, Andy Reid, young coach, Doug Peterson was the starter. Yeah. Dominic McNabb was That's right. sit, learn, just like he did with Mahomes. Andy Reid, yeah. ridiculous coach. Yeah. Oh, my God. They, how about if they don't take um, – if, if Kansas City doesn't take Mahomes, the Saints are going to take Mahomes. And they had, that, they had that conversation with Drew. They had it. Like a mature organization. Like you, you do. Successful organization, you bring the quarterback in. Hey, Drew, you got to understand this. And I'm sure, I'm sure he was like, "Why aren't we taking?" No, it's know, but like they did it, and if they would have taken him, Sean would still be in in New Orleans, and they'd be shattering offensive records. Oh yeah, Terry Fontenot was calling me plenty because they, they knew we were in, they knew we were going to take quarterback. We're in the mix for a quarterback, yeah. so he kept calling. What do you think? You know, what do you got? I'm like, man, it's crickets. You know? <laughs> so that's what happens like people who know people they're calling I mean, each Josh, other we had that, trying deal. To figure that, out deal, what's that deal that deal with the chiefs was done months like we had that deal done oh yeah they called they wanted to come up to our our spot 
they called us the week of the draft to come up all the way up to three or four. So we had obviously, obviously we knew it was, you know, either one of the two quarterbacks um, and kudos to them for being as aggressive as they were to go, to go get a guy that was not a, you know, was not a for sure thing. Like they had conviction and passion on a quarterback who, you know, had a losing record his junior year and didn't make a bowl game like that. That's crazy to think that they had the greatest quarterback ever to play and they didn't make a bowl game. Like that's, that's nuts. And to have that conviction and passion to move up and take them good for them. Well, Jim knows somebody else who had that conviction and passion to draft Patrick Mahomes. Sorry, Jim. Yeah. Our owner won the owner of the team. Why did the no, owner get past Patrick Mahomes? He loved him from the start, like during the season. So, like watching know. tape. I mean, w- watching him, however he watched players or heard about players. I yeah, don't so know. Like, just like reading, yeah, reading. But he hearing. spent time then. I mean, he did spend time with watching. You know, trying to get an opinion on the quarterbacks. I love it. Good for him. Yeah, he was into it. He never was in the Watson. He wasn't in the Mitch. He was in the Mahomes, and that was good it. for him. And he yeah. and, and and then they take another baller the next year that that owner should be hired as a scout does he need a job job making one hundred five thousand dollars a year with a six hundred fifty dollar car allowance that's like he would he would throw up if he made what scouts make (laughs) a lot of marriott points so i'm very jealous of you guys situation. greatest thing ever lots of trips to hawaii i was gonna say yeah right now you can probably just Catch up on some vacations, right? That's not all that bad. That's that's a good thing. That's a hey. Good so, thing. Josh, you want to talk about how sick gambling is? I think I might take the Jets getting nine and a half against Kansas City. Jets, hold on, hold on. I got to process this. So, the Jets are playing where? The greatest, they're playing Kansas City. So, Zach, we have the greatest quarterback ever against either arguably between him and Nathan Peterman, who we drafted. Considered Zach Wilson or Peterman, I guess, would be arguably the worst quarterback in the history of football, according to everybody. <laughs> um, and I'm going to bet on them. I'm going to bet on Zach Wilson to beat Mahomes, to at least cover the spread. Cover the spread. What you said is what? Nine and a half. Hopefully it gets to 10 on uh, Monday. And it's Sunday, Sunday night. Sunday, it's Sunday night. night football. Mm-hmm. Like, Josh, it's great. Nothing, nothing, surpri- nothing surprises me. Yes. That's all I needed to hear. Thank Nothing you. Nothing surprises me. That that defense is good enough to keep him close in every game. I, I don't Kelsey's, know. Kelsey's distracted. Kelsey's distracted. <laughs> See, I, I never gamble, and I, uh, I'm i taking Smart the Smart man. I, I definitely threw down a little bit. I thought, I I'm like, you know, they're going to win by man. 10 at least. You guys ever talk college football? We are going to. No, we don't. It's all pro football? Mm-hmm. Really? We should though. We can mix in some college. How about you, Tyler? Do you just cover pro football? Yeah, all NFL. Um, you know, long form stories, podcasts like this. Good folks like yourself just uh, BSing about you know what really happens behind the scenes. So man, I, I, I can't it. thank you enough for doing this. No, anytime. Just let me know. Let's get you back on. Awesome. And we can't thank you enough, Josh. Thank, thanks so much. Thank you for having me, guys. See you, bud. See you, Josh. Talk soon. See you.